There's two aspects to our worship. We're really good at one. We're not so good at the other. Okay? And I plead guilty. When it comes to worship, there's two aspects of the character of God and the nature of God that we need to understand. One is, he is a transcendent God. He's over and above us. Right? To that God, we bow down. And, we were, and, and he's holy. We bow down as sinners. And that's how we respond in worship to the transcendence of God. But there is another truth taught in Scripture that's very important. He's also an eminent God. An eminence means he is among us. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you know what we do when we understand he's in our midst? We celebrate it. We celebrate it. Now, we tend to be good at the holy end of it, not so good at the celebration end of it. And somewhere in there, there's a balance. Because you can go off on both ends, right? Right? And there's certain groups that go off on this end. There's other groups that go off on this end. But there's a balance. What I would like you to do today is this. I'd like you to stand again. I'd like you to turn and celebrate each other being here and shake hands with about three or four people and tell them, thanks for coming today. Glad you're here. Would you do that? Come on, stand up real quick. Let's shake hands. See, once you start to celebrate, people get carried away, right? Isn't it great? I got to tell you one thing I love. It's, I'm certain this was here, and it's coming back. This is just me and my wife being here for a couple of days. One of the things I love when you come in before the service and there's chatter. I've never been one of those guys that like silence in the auditorium before the service starts. I know some people do, but I always like chatter because it's a sign of life. And just so you know, as we sat up here and listened today, I said there's a lot of chatter going on again, and uh, it's neat to see uh, what's taking place here at Mount Calvary. Need to see you. Well, we're going to study today, again, the series Behold. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You may ask, why should we behold Jesus? Why should we gaze at him? And why is it important today for us to just kind of stare at him and learn everything we can about him? Well, there's a verse over in Luke chapter 6 that would tell us why it's so important. And it's not our text today, but it says this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's why we need to behold Christ, because as we behold him, we become like him. And I think the desire for everyone in this room this morning is that we might be more like Christ. That's the goal. More like Christ. Not just for the sake of being more like Christ, but because one of the things that takes place and the responsibility we have is to disciple others. And if we're going to lead people toward Christ, then it's essential for us to be like Christ and if we're going to lead people toward Christ, it's important that we ourselves are heading toward Christ, becoming more like Christ. And so today from Luke chapter 5, we're going to just look at a passage of Scripture that's kind of an interesting chapter of Scripture. Luke chapter 5. Initially, when you look at this particular passage of Scripture, it looks like it's a text and a chapter that's just kind of discombobulated. Is that a good word? I think it's a Dutch word, isn't it? It just looks like a passage of Scripture that's a discombobulated text because it begins by talking about Peter 
and Jesus calling him to follow. And then it goes and talks about Jesus cleansing a leopard. And then it talks about Jesus healing a paralytic man. And then it jumps to Jesus calling Levi or Matthew to be a follower of him. And then it jumps to new wine and new wineskins. And so when you look at this text, you're like, okay, this is just a scattered set of stories that Luke records. But let me remind you that Luke was a doctor. Luke was brilliant. And Luke's mind wasn't a scattered mind. Luke was, he, 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 he was the kind of guy that had to determine and analyze things. So he's very analytical. And he's very logical because he needed as a doctor to logically go through a process of determining what might be wrong with people. And then he's kind of detailed, so he is very careful in the way he goes about things. So for us to look and say this chapter is a discombobulated chapter would be to misunderstand what Luke is trying to communicate to us. And I think when you look at this chapter and see it as a whole, there is something here about discipleship, and there's a logical flow to this particular passage of Scripture that's important for us and something for us as we come today to understand. And so as we look at it, we want to, again, let's behold Jesus, because in this chapter, it's kind of about discipleship. Avery Willis was, uh, I think, with Navigators years ago. Avery Willis wrote this particular quote. I thought it was a good one. Discipleship is developing a personal, lifelong obedient relationship with Jesus Christ in which he transforms your character into Christ-likeness. Changes your values to kingdom values and involves you in his mission in the home, in the church, and in the world. It's a great quote, isn't it? I think sometimes... We don't fully grasp discipleship. Can I say this to you? If you're involved in a life group, you're discipling. The whole setting in which you operate as life groups, in those home groups, whatever age you are, teenager, younger, or older, in those settings, everything that happens in that setting is discipleship. Because discipleship is life on life. And what you do in that setting is you live out your life, you communicate with others, and as you do that, you are discipling, and you may not even know that you're doing that. It was encouraging for me to understand when someone else watches my life and I am able to explain to them life, that's discipleship. Because what is taking place is You are continuing to develop a personal, lifelong, obedient relationship to Jesus Christ. That's why you're there. And what you're doing as you're a part of that and as you do life with others and Jesus joins that life group, you are learning and being transformed so that his character slowly becomes your character. And as people watch your character conformed to the image of Christ, That's discipleship. That's discipleship. 
And then he, they watch as your values become kingdom values. And you begin to be involved in the whole process. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you are a discipler. You just may not understand all the places where discipleship takes place. And so let's just go into this text today and let's just say this. In this text, Jesus defines discipleship. In this whole chapter, he defines discipleship. And it's a great chapter of Scripture for us to look at today and to gaze at Christ so that we can get a good definition of what discipleship is and what all it involves. So let's look, first of all, Jesus defines discipleship. It's fishing for people. Discipleship is fishing for people. Okay? That's very simple, isn't it? Look at uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of... uh, Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, he wa- which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Simon answered, said, Master, We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's an interesting response to the boats being filled with fish, isn't it? For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they were taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Literal translation is stop the fear. Stop. I think the King James says, fear not. Why would he be afraid? Do you think there's a sense in which he understand the presence of whom he stood? That this particular master, Jesus, even had control over the fish of the sea. Talk about the sovereignty of God. And then he says, stop being afraid from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus simply here defines discipleship as fishing for people. And if I can say it this way to you, in this particular story, this is Jesus teaching us what to do. This is the what of the passage. What is it that Jesus wants all of us here this morning, to be doing? The answer is fishing for people. Now, the reason he uses it and says fishing for people is because he's standing with Peter. 
and he's standing with the others who were fishermen by trade, and Jesus takes what was reality to them, and he simply says, I want you to go from fishing for fish to fishing for people. And he defines discipleship in that way, that we are fishing for people. That's what we do. And this is the what of the text. You see, Jesus simply says, from this time forward, this is what you're going to do. And Peter here in this passage, he gives impetuous Peter. If you know Peter, Peter was the one who would just do things to do things. Kind of like asking you to shake hands this morning. I can identify with Peter just a little impetuous. Let's do this this morning. That was Peter. And so what he does with Peter is he did not need to all the details. Peter didn't care about all the details. Peter wasn't a detail man, but Peter was a big picture man. If you understand personalities and you've understood Peter from other things that took place, you understand Peter wasn't concerned about the details. So Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishermen. Peter drops everything, leaves everything behind. He's gone. And he gave Peter a picture, but it was a picture of a large haul of fish providing, uh, proving to him that Jesus is who he said he is. You see, when he said, cast your net on the other side and all of these fish jump into the net, Peter knew. And Jesus had just given Peter all that he needed. He needed a big picture. And what I'm going to do, Peter, is I'm going to use you And what you're going to do is you're going to catch a lot of men. By men, he means people. It's generic there. And so Peter responds by leaving his occupation, and he goes to be a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do is teach Peter and the other disciples the mission of fishing for men or making disciples. So Jesus defines discipleship as following him to become fishers of people. That's the definition. That's the what. But let's notice in this text, not Jesus further defines discipleship as this. It's caring for the needs of people. I'm not going to take time to read these two stories, but I want to just show you in verse number 12 that Jesus cleanses a leper. And I want you to notice then in verse 17, Jesus heals a paralytic man. He also forgave this man of his sins. But what he does in the middle of this text, this chapter is kind of interesting because you have here the call of Peter and you have here the call of Levi and sandwiched in between it is the healing of the leper and the paralytic man. And you look at the text, you say, okay, what is Luke trying to communicate to us? And I'll just say this to you. This is the how to fish for people. That's important for you to understand. This is how you fish for people. Say, I I don't quite get that. Well, let me try to explain to you what takes place because these are two powerful stories of Jesus caring for and healing people of physical issues. Jesus did that all the time. One of the reasons he did that was because He was proving that he indeed was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the one sent from God, the one who could forgive sins. And trust me, what became clear through the 
course of his ministry was he would heal people and then he'd forgive them of their sin as he does in this passage. And that's when the Pharisees said, wait a minute, it's one thing to heal people, but it's a whole nother thing to forgive people of their sins. Now, when you stop and think about that for a minute, that's kind of a ridiculous argument on the part of the Pharisees. And what Jesus did is Jesus constantly showed that he cared, he cared, he cared about the physical issues, the physical needs of people. Constantly showed that. It's obvious in this text, or obvious from Scripture, the Pharisees didn't care about the physical needs of people. It's all right to heal them physically, but to forgive sins? And Jesus basically says, I can do both. I can both heal and I can forgive sins. And what I want you to learn from this passage, these two powerful stories, is he cared deeply and healed thousands of people of their physical issues. He was moved when he saw people with physical problems, and he always did what he was capable of doing for people. Now, I want to emphasize that point. I'd like you to write that point down. Jesus always did what he was capable of doing for people. Because your argument might be, well, I can't heal people. Jesus may not ask you to heal people. He'll simply ask you to do this. Do what you can. Do what you can and do what your capacities will allow you to do and what God has enabled you to do. Because the lesson is this. Discipleship is learning to see the physical needs of people. Because, please hear this, please hear this, the physical needs of people is a window to their spiritual needs, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. What he does in the life of this paralytic man, he heals them. But then he says to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And you learn this simple principle in life. Where you live in the context in which you live, learn to be alert and learn to pay attention when there are physical needs in the life of people, especially people that don't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Because if you care about their physical needs, it will open the door for you to ultimately care for their spiritual needs. If you just care for their spiritual needs and don't care about their physical needs, you may not gain that opportunity. People need to know that you love them before you're able to minister to them. That makes sense to you? You see that in Christ? You see how Jesus does this? So you say, man, I, I, I'm not one of those person that, I'm not one of those people who can just go up and knock on a door and begin to share the gospel with someone. Yeah, welcome to the club. I've never been one of them either. Okay? There are people that can do that. There are people that are gifted at that. It's why, I don't know how much it is around here, but back where we lived, everybody moved from the front porch to the back porch. They, they called it a deck. Everybody moved to the back deck. So when you knocked on the front door, they didn't know you were there anyway. They were out back. Now, I, I just, I want to, this is how you fish for people. 
particularly in your neighborhood when there are physical needs. Pay attention to that and jump on that. And take advantage of the opportunity to care for their physical needs because you will find in time that if you genuinely love and you show people that you genuinely care, it will be a window to their spiritual needs. I said this to you before. One of the things I think in evangelism that's so important is build relationships with people. Because as you build relationships with people, you learn to listen. They will share. The hurt will begin to surface. The pain of their life will surface. What sin has done to them will begin to surface. Man, you don't know what my kids are going through. No, I I may not know what your kids are going through, but what can I do to help you deal with that? How can I help you? And as you watch for physical needs, you see here. So the application is simply this. We may not be able to heal people as Jesus did, but we can do what we are able to do like he did. And Christ-likeness is is doing what you're capable of doing. I challenge you today to do what you can to minister to the physical needs of people. And I think you'll find out that's where discipleship begins. Because discipleship is relationship. And then in relationship is where you can communicate through your living and through your lips. You can begin to communicate the truth of how Jesus has changed your life. The last thing I want you to see in this as Jesus defines discipleship is he defines it as interacting with sinners. Okay, Interacting with sinners. Let's read this one in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector. Now, all of you here today understand when, a, when the Bible uses the term tax collector, you understand what it means? The biggest sinners alive in Israel in that day, the tax collector. They were thieves. They were extortioners. They, I mean, they just ripped the people off like you can't believe. Don't say it. And he goes on, it says this. He sees Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. This is Matthew. Collecting taxes, Jesus comes and says, follow me. And Matthew leaves it all. Levi leaves it all and becomes a follower of Jesus. But notice what he does. This is here for a reason. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying this, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. And this is what he said. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, that is a slam on the Pharisees. Because what he's saying, in essence, in this particular sentence, what he's saying is this. Those of you that think you don't need a doctor, don't need a doctor. Those of you that think you're okay, don't need a savior. And that's the Pharisees. Yeah, we're all right. We don't, need, we don't need Jesus. And he goes on and he says this. I have not come to call the righteous. 
That could be translated, I didn't come to call you self-righteous Pharisees who think you're righteous. And then he makes this incredible statement. He says, I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, in this section here, what you get is the where to fish. So we saw the what as Jesus defines discipleship. He said, the what is you're going to fish for men. The how is you're going to look at how you can care for and love people by ministering to physical needs that you see. And hopefully you see them because your eyes are open and your ears are listening. And this is the where to fish. And the call, this is obviously the call of Matthew. And what he says here, he throws a banquet. After he does this, he says, I'm going to throw a banquet for you, and I'm going to invite all of these tax collectors, the worst sinners anywhere. And Jesus comes, and he, at the banquet, he's right there in the middle of it all. Right there in the middle of it all. The Pharisees say he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I am. And this is where you fish. This is where you fish. You fish among sinners. (laughs) You fish where there's tax collectors and sinners. You have to be friends with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, this is the very reason I came to call sinners to repentance. Where do you fish? I I think this, but this is just an opinion, so let me toss it out as opinion. I think when we come here on Sundays for worship, we should smell like the world. If we don't smell like the world, it's not a good thing. But when we go to work or whatever we do Monday, we should smell like a saint because we've been among God's people. When we come here Sunday, we should kind of smell like sinners because during the course of the week, we've been out there with sinners. And then we go back out to those sinners, they should smell our saintness. That's a word. Because we've been with God's people. And there should be a little bit of both in our lives. And if that balance isn't there, then we're out of balance. We're out of balance. So people who think they're okay don't need a physician. People who are sick know they do. And as you interact, so I encourage you, what to do? It's all here fish for people. How do you fish for people? Look for physical needs that you can minister to. Where do you fish for people? Out there. Go into all the world. As John said, it be in the world, but not of the world. That's where we are to be, and that's where we are to fish. And then he kind of ends this chapter, and he says this. This is all brand new. This is new wine. You don't put new wine in an old wineskin. You put new wine in a new wineskin. All he's saying to them is, these are brand new concepts. I've come to teach you something 
completely different than the Old Testament. I'm going to introduce a whole new covenant to you in the New Testament. This is all brand new. Now, I want you to think this through with me for just a minute and process this this way, if you would, and then we'll quit. I would assume here this morning that most of you, most of you here drive. Drive your car. I would also make an assumption that your dad is the one who taught you how to drive. And I would also make an assumption that this, that you really can't learn how to drive without someone teaching you. So I want you to think back on that process and remember when your dad taught you to drive, he said, this is a car. Brilliant statement, right? This is a car. And your dad told you, get in there and sit down. And he said, this is a steering wheel. This is the gear shift for me. I, I taught my girls to drive a standard shift. I figured if they could drive that, they could drive anything. So I taught them all in a standard shift. That's why I have gray hair, too. <laughs> the one so mad at me one time sitting, she just got out of the car and walked home and left me there sitting in the car. And I had to go home and apologize for being impatient. But I told him, I said, when I can take you and we're going to park that car on the steepest hill I can find, right? And I'm going to stop it right there in the middle of that hill. And when you can get it going on that hill, you're ready to go take your test. But I had to teach him a lot of things. I had to teach him how to, as you were taught, your dad taught you, hey, braking is important because you just can't come up to the car behind you and hit the brakes. You have to learn to brake. You see, they taught you, here's what it is but they had to teach you how do you do that. When you go around a corner, you have to slow down. And a lot of things, and your memory probably goes back to your dad sitting there in that seat and just teaching you and telling you certain things about driving. I can visualize it now with my dad sitting there saying, whoa, boy, not so fast. And I said, dad, I'll teach you what this car is capable of doing. He said, no, you won't. Well, then I will do that when you're not in there anymore. No, you won't. I have the keys. He taught me this. This is the gas tank. This is where you put gas in. And he taught me, your wallet is in your back pocket, and when you need gas in this gas tank, you reach in your back pocket, and you pull out money, and you put gas in there. I remember him teaching me that. He said, don't come to me and ask for money for gas. That's part of learning how. And then he said, we went into parking lots and we drove around parking lots. And then he said this, now we're going to go out in the road because this is where you drive. And my dad taught me to how, he taught me to what, and he taught me where. And if you think back, your dad did too. You know why? Because you really can't learn to drive on your own. Someone has to teach you how to do that. And that's the exact same thing of being a disciple. You really can't become a disciple on your own. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit through the lives of God's people to pour into your life and to live before you and to teach you. And so what do we do? We fish for men. How do we do it? We care about their physical needs. And where do we do it? Elizabethtown and all the other places that surround this. We get out there because that's where we fish. So what is a disciple? 
last slide here is this. A disciple, we become like Christ, but here's what a disciple is. A disciple is one who is committed to following Jesus. A disciple is committed to being transformed by Jesus, and a disciple is someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus, making disciples. I throw a verse up here, Matthew 4, 19, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You say, I can't do this. That's all right. Jesus said, I'll make you. Not in the sense of I'll make you do this. You do this or else. But in the sense of, no, I'll work in your life in such a way that you will be a fisher for men. So as we go forward from this point, I'd like us to be able to define the disciple in such a way. And there's people here this morning, I want to take time and give out a card to everybody. So you ushers or whoever has those cards right now, would you just kind of make your way to every row? Come on, as we wind it down, let's, I want you to put this in your Bible. I'd like you to memorize this. I'd like you to see it. And uh, as we talk about discipleship, we're going to talk in these terms. It's not about reaching. It's about making. Make sense? It's not about how much can we accumulate here at, at Mount Calvary. It's about how many can we deploy into the discipleship ministry, into going out in the world and fishing for people, knowing how we do it by caring for their needs and knowing where we do it. So I'd like you just to tuck this somewhere where you can look at it and take it out when you do your devotional time. And as you just pray, Lord, help me to be a disciple, to be fishing for men. Help me to allow the Holy Spirit and Jesus to transform my life continually. Because a disciple is one who is committed to being transformed by Christ. And then say, now, Lord, help me to be committed to the mission of making disciples. Get it? Oh, you're getting good. You're getting good. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just a commitment in your heart. How many will take this card and during your prayer time will just lay it out there with your Bible and say, Lord, help me to be this and help me to do this. And Lord, use me, make me, transform my life and help me to be a person who is always fishing for people by caring for needs that exist out in our community. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, Help us in our discipleship to be followers of you, knowing that you will transform us and knowing that you'll then use us to be fishers of men and to make disciples. Because what a church is all about is not accumulating how many people we can accumulate, but it's how can we make disciples. It's about making disciples disciples for Christ. And then it's about not just gathering, but it's about deploying them into this community, into every aspect of this community, to love people and to care for the needs of people and to minister to people at the level of their physical needs, knowing that the Holy Spirit will then open the door for us to minister to their spiritual need, the deep needs of their life. So help us, we pray, to be able to be your disciples and to follow you with a total abandonment and a total commitment to you. And then use us to make disciples, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today, uh, you're new to Mount Calvary, thanks for coming. Great to have you. And I want to encourage all of you, if I can, that are here to invite someone to come with you. Do you know this? With all the technology and everything that's still taking place today, 
websites and all that, do you still, you know that still 80% of people that come to a church and become a part of a church are come because they were invited by a friend to come? 80%. So I want to encourage you, invite someone to come with you. Bring a friend or a coworker or whatever, but be inviting and be fishing. Be fishing all the time. Build relationships. Build relationships. And uh, if you're here today and we can help you, our numbers are up there. If you have prayer requests you want us to pray for, text it to us. Some of you have done that. Uh, if you're here as a young person, you want to text and say hi. A bunch of you did that. Thanks. I'll try and text you back and say hi. But if there's anything we can be of help to you, you can see us. Text us or there'll be people here at the front after the service or you can go by the Welcome Center if you have questions about your spiritual journey. Or maybe it is how you can know Christ as your personal Savior and how you can have your sins forgiven because that's what Jesus is all about. He came to save sinners. Have a great week, guys. See you.